Well, welcome everyone to a very special episode of the Talking Serverless Podcast. We actually have both co-hosts on today. Uh, you know, yours truly, COO Joshua Proto and founder of Serverless Guru, uh, Ryan Jones. And Ryan will be our guest today. I'm always really excited when we get to have uh, Ryan Ryan for a chat for a podcast just because I know we're both actually incredibly busy and Ryan, definitely. So it's always awesome to be able to get some time and, you know, pick your brain about serverless, see what sort of, you know, wisdom you have for the for the community and just experience. So Ryan, thank you so much for uh, hopping on today. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm happy that you're the host, Josh. Those are good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, what is it? I'd love to, I'd love to start off a little bit just for, you know, we always are having new people join the podcast and sort of tune in. And, you know, episodes with you are really great entry points. And so I'd love to, you know, and interested to see also how, how the story develops, which is, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit, just a little bit about, you know, your story with serverless. How did you get into it? What were you doing beforehand? Did it have anything to do with this? And, you know, sort of where are you, where are you going right now? What sort of interesting things are keeping you up at night around serverless? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I have been working on, uh, you know, more like a skunk, skunk works project. Uh, for building serverless applications and uh, making progress on it. We're not fully at a public release on any of that stuff. Uh, we're planning on doing internal testing uh, within Serverless Guru, um, getting all of the developers at the, the company to use it, uh, try it out, get their feedback. As, a, as Alex from, our, from the Serverless Guru team likes to say, you know, we've got to eat our own dog food a little bit on this. Um, and we're in, a, we're in, I would say, one of the, arguably best positions to build a product like this because we actually have people on the ground that are at you know world-class people from around the world working at serverless guru that do this stuff every day so if we're going to build a product we actually have people that can give feedback that almost any other startup wouldn't have that ability to tap into it and then we also have the client access as well so i'm i'm super excited about it it's been you know rattling around my head for quite a while um you know at a high level it's just going to make the development process of serverless applications easier, smoother, and get to that really exciting point where it's we do a lot of repetition uh, when we're building things out. And so the idea is let's skip over some of that and let's get to the cool stuff, the new things. And then any things that we learn, any edge cases, let's rework that back into the platform uh, and then grow it from there. So that's probably like the work product development side. Uh, I've been surfing quite a bit. Uh, so that's you know something that's new. In the past, you know, three, three and a half months, I've been here in Puerto Rico. I think I've surfed the past four days around like 5 p.m. until sunset. And uh, it's been, it's been amazing. <laughs> it's been, it's been fantastic. So, yeah. 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 That sounds, that sounds, that sounds rocking. Um, yeah. No. So, so Ryan, like, you know, do you just uh, one day decide that you're going to be working on a, you know, state-of-the-art Skunkworks uh, serverless ap application, a serverless product, or uh, how did you sort of get to the point of where you're able to, I don't know, clearly if you're building a product in, in this world of business, you know, you definitely are able to see a need or even sometimes our most innovative people are able to foresee a need uh, and really be able to sort of catch the market before it's fully matured. And so how did you, uh, how did you sort of like, like get to this point? Was serverless always something that you were interested in or like what was that moment for you? Yeah, so specifically for this product, it was rattled around in my head for quite a while. And I believe this is a two-part question, but um, the at least the the internal product, it was it was rattled around in my head for a while because I kept building the same things. Like every time that I would get asked by a client to build, you know, some serverless application, I always did the same few steps. And if I didn't have access to those templates, uh, that's part of the reason why Serverless Guru has a gigantic templates repository. Uh, it was the precursor to kind of what this product is. And so when I would be asked to build, build this API and then build this other API and then integrate like a user pool and Cognito and all these services. And then I would get asked to just keep repeating that process. Uh, it was, you know, and I'm sure this is, it's not a unique idea. I'm sure pretty much everyone that works in the space has kind of thought about, why don't you just increase the automation of all of it? And it's been done before, but I think that it's, this is specifically the way that I'm, I'm almost like putting my brain into the automation. And so I think that even though there's existing products on the market uh, for it, I think this one will be a little bit more unique in terms of you know functionality uh, and also the stuff I mentioned earlier. Getting to the second part of that question, like serverless in general, uh, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting story because I started. I'll go way back because I haven't. I don't think I've told this part. So I actually, when I was like eight years old, I would carry a fishing tackle box 
to elementary school. Um, so I was the cool kid, you know, the, the one that carries the fishing tackle box to school. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. And so, and in that box, I would get my, I'd get my dad and my parents to basically take me to a beauty supply store. Um, also normal eight-year-old things. Um, and then I would go get a bunch of uh, colored rubber bands and like bobby pins. And so, and then I would, I would put them into the tackle fishing box in a nice colored order with like the bobby pins. And then I would go to school on the playground and I would open it up. And then I would basically sell rubber band bracelets of different colors to people on the, on the playground. And I would sell them for like a dollar and kids would come to school, you know, with like a couple dollars from their parents. And so I was able to sell these uh, to kids. And, um, and then I, I was able to use that money to buy like, you know, candy from the gas station. And I kind of had that, I had that realization, like that self-awareness really early when I bought like my own candy. And I was like, this is cool. You know what I mean? Like, I just like this is, I, this is a very unique thing that I was able to create something, have someone buy it, see value in it, and then get something that I wanted out of that using that. Right. That was probably the real start of all of this was the, you know, rubber bands selling that on the playground. Uh, from there, I went into just thinking about like skill wise, like uh, skill acquisition was probably like the main driver. I don't like there's there's those times where like you're operating, but you don't know the vocabulary about why you're doing what you're doing. And so I, I like the rubber, like the rubber band bracelet to the programming pro gaming thing was like, OK, if I if I do this thing, if I get good at this thing, then something good will come out of that. And so I kind of had that idea. And then uh, when it came to Halo 3, which was a, you know, like a first person shooter uh, game. Oh, yeah. um, when I was in high school, I, I was playing it and I was seeing like, this was, I think like pre-Twitch or it's probably pre-Twitch. Definitely, pre definitely and pre-Twitch. Stuff. And so um, I was seeing like the major league gaming and all this stuff. And I started going to school and I started trying to build a professional gaming team. Uh, and I, I didn't know how to do this like properly. I, I, I should have used the internet to find like teammates, but I just found people in my gym class and I would just say, hey, do you play Halo 3? Great. Let's like form a team. Let's go pro at this. Uh, and no one took it as seriously as I took it. And so it, it, it didn't fully work out. But, uh, you know, I tried to build teams back then as well. Um, and uh, from there, I ended up going, okay, I went to an MLG event. Um, it was super cool, kind of like re-inspired that thing. And then I got into World of Warcraft. And World of Warcraft was uh, just just an amazing experience. I, I played it for for years from you know, sophomore in high school to like graduating and then eventually turned it into a business. And I, I was just trying to get better. I wanted to, there was no real like pro World of Warcraft players. There were like Twitch streamers that popped up during that period, um, but there wasn't really as much money. Like Coca-Cola wasn't sponsoring people at yeah. this point, you know? And so uh, I just started getting better at it. And then I saw someone basically spamming saying, hey, I'll, I'm selling like 2v2 uh, what's called carries and just messaged me about it. So I messaged that guy and I was like, Hey, teach me how to do it. I'll, I'll work for you. Right. I just want to know how to do this, know what the process is. And now like thinking about myself now I can go, Oh, okay. You just, you basically just get paid through PayPal. It's not really complex or anything, but for me being like a 14 year old, 15 to like 18 year old kid with no like outside world experience, the idea of getting paid to play a video game was like really hard to wrap my head around. Um, and so he told me this, we got on Skype calls. He ended up, he was from Australia and became like a, a good friend of mine, um, at the time. And I started doing these carries and stuff. And then he made me like a little pamphlet thing. And I've got that on my LinkedIn actually still. Uh, and I, I used that money to pay for rent and I was making enough money to pay for rent and all that stuff at the, like an apartment. And I was just working like 12 hours a day. I would, I would spam across like four different World of Warcraft accounts, which, you know, it's not looked at very fondly from Blizzard, but um, I did that and I would just spam in the chats and then someone would message me. I would, I would send them uh, a big message about how they can pay me and how we can start working. And this was probably the first time that I dipped my toe in consulting. And it's, it's cool. They say like Steve Jobs has a quote that says like, you know, you can't, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only backwards, right? So I see now that this was my first experience with consulting, customer service, um, and also programming. Because one thing that I was doing in World of Warcraft to switch between these accounts uh, is I was I was starting to become technically savvy at that point, um, be able to be able to switch and do all that stuff, but also macros. So I would write actually key bindings, and I would I would spam out messages using macros, um, and so that's how that kind of developed. 
And I did that for a while. And then it kind of dried up because, you know, Blizzard, they kind of ruined it, to be honest. They, they started introducing buy gold using your credit card. And so now like my ability to do that was a little bit more tricky. Um, and I just was not ready to like adapt to it. I, and at that point it was like, I kind of ran the full candle out. Um, and so I got, I ended up getting a job at fast food actually. And so I was working at a fast food restaurant for like eight months. Um, and the whole time I hated it. <laughs> it was like awful. I remember calling my parents, like the first day that I was working there and being like, I hate this so much that I'm doing this. You know, I was just running my own business. What am I doing here? You know, but I did that. And, uh, and that's where I started to see like, even in that environment, I really tried to get better at the stuff that I was doing. And I found like enjoyment actually in like some of the more trivial things. Like when we used to see a car come into the parking lot, I would start going into efficiency mode and being like, okay, I need, there's, there's a car there. Uh, let me get like some cups ready. Let me start like calling out to the kitchen. You know, like I, I would just, and then when they would order the drinks, I would start doing it. And the movements were, were very methodical and I got better at those movements over and over again. And that was also like a precursor to the type of way that I, I operate now, um, finding like little efficiencies uh, in places. Uh, from there, I uh, left, I went to uh, Portland, actually, Portland, Oregon, uh, where eventually Serverless Guru was founded, but it took a little bit longer. So I went to there, I started doing data entry. Um, and, you know, I was now typing faster from the World of Warcraft days. So I started to really get into that whole tech savvy part. And I did that for a while. I went back to school. I started going to a community college. And then I ended up moving back to Texas and I was there, I was doing, you know, community college in Texas and, and I ended up going like, okay, I'm done with this. Like I'm, I'm going back to Portland and I actually, how this kicked off is that uh, I knew I wanted to go back, but I didn't really have a strong reason to do it. And then I saw, uh, I saw a YouTube video actually, where the guy was talking about a code school and how, and immediately that clicked to me. I, I only needed like, a, like a, I was already starting to take like some Android classes through uh, Udemy at that point. And uh, I was, I was going like heavy Java. I didn't even know how HTML worked at that point, but I was doing Java, but I didn't know how, how do you, how does Java even connect to anything else, you know? Um, and so I watched that video. He says code school immediately. I connect that. If I go to code school, I'll get a job at Google. And like, that's a way that I can just jump way ahead. And so that was my, that was my thing from the beginning. Like I, after I saw that video, I went outside, uh, first off, I emailed them and I went outside to call my mom and I was like, this is, I'm going to go work at Facebook or Google doing this, you know? And it was like very early on, I had no skills to be able to do that. Um, and, and also a little bit delusional, which is, you know, <laughs> just like a recurring, <laughs> recurring theme. And uh, so I, I went, I went to code school. That's where I uh, ended up meeting you, Josh, uh, through, uh, through Stormy, um, uh, your partner, and then did the code school thing. And I was doing like uh, Udemy courses. I was doing full-time college on the weekend for programming. Uh, and I was also still working data entry on the weekend as well. Um, so it was like super jam packed, um, schedule there and also listening to like inspiration and motivation on the train, getting super hyped up, you know, and then it got to a point in the later stages of the code school where I did the entire week of the program on like Saturday or Sunday. And then I would show up to code school on Monday and it was like a full Monday through Friday code school. And I would just work on whatever I wanted to work on. Cause I already did the course uh, at that point. And, uh, then I started getting interested from one of the people that was there into AWS because, you know, the, the universe kind of aligned on this. And one of the people that was in the code school with me uh, named Clifford, uh, his brother was an AWS cloud engineer. And so I was immediately like, oh, what does that mean? Right. What does this mean? Cloud engineer. And I looked up the salaries for it and I saw it was like six figures and I was like, great, <laughs> you know, let's do that. And so uh, from there, uh, I met with him, got some more info about it and then learned about AWS certifications. And so then we started a study group inside of the code school. And then one of the first videos that Ryan Krunenberg from a cloud guru said was uh, serverless is the future, right? And so that's really where this all kicked off because the second I heard serverless is the future, here I am, I'm trying to like make a stamp, you know, uh, on the, on the world. I'm looking for like my, my ticket into like a, you know, the faster track of stuff. And so the second I heard that, I was like, okay, let's figure out what that means. And I learned about like Alexa developments and I ended up building a, an Alexa skill, which allowed for Portland train arrivals. Um, so you'd basically ask Alexa, like, Hey, when is the green line train coming to city center? And it would tell you like uh, five minutes away or something. Right. And so I built that out and uh, that was super cool. And I was using like Lambda serverless AWS. And then from there, uh, this was really, really early days. This was uh, like mid 2017. So a lot of this stuff 
that we have now didn't exist then, uh, including something like a, a comparable uh, application now is Dino-based, uh, if y'all are familiar with that and the, the founder on Twitter. Um, so I love what he's done with it um, about making like this hosted UI of DynamoDB and making that process way easier. So that's what the startup that I tried to do out of code school was in mid 2017. Uh, I didn't have the knowledge of the skill set to actually pull the thing off, but I did try and I, and I worked really hard to understand like cognito authentication flows and all this stuff back in back when there wasn't really a lot of documentation around it. And then through that process of doing this, uh, I matched like 80% of a job description for Nike uh, for the innovation engineering department. And, uh, you know, I was classified as a senior application developer at that point, which was very early on. Uh, but eventually I was able to catch up, you know, with the people there and, and, and do well at it. Um, and Nike was like a dream come true. It was, it was a standing whiteboard desk at a huge company at the world headquarters. Um, you know, I had like brand new Mac equipment, uh, Apple equipment, and I was like surrounded by peers that were like off the charts. Like they had five iOS apps are like number one in the store and like all these things. And so I did that. And then we built out all this cool machine learning stuff. And I built like a chat bot and I, all of it was serverless. All of it was like, you know, the backend uh, stuff supporting machine learning as the saying goes or whatever, it's like in a machine learning application, like 5% or less is machine learning. And the rest of it is just normal <laughs> development stuff. And so uh, I helped with all those, those normal development things and somebody else handled the machine learning. And uh, from there, I started to uh, branch out and I talked to uh, Portland Community College about creating a chatbot. And already I had thought about this prior to getting the job at Nike around doing something like serverless consulting or some, I, I basically told my grandpa, I was like, I want to start a business. Uh, and this was like mid 2017, uh, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I just knew that, you know, if I could get really good at AWS, then people would pay me for that. And that supported my long-term goal of control of my time. Yeah, control of my time. I wanted to be able to control what I did on a daily basis. And I wanted to do it from the location that I wanted to do it. And so I didn't know what the business would that would support that. Um, but uh, yeah, going back to the story, talked to PCC, they, they approved me doing a chatbot with serverless, all these things for a job fair, uh, build all that out, do the machine learning side of that as well. Um, and then it never fully got a release, but it was a cool product that was built. And it was my first customer, even though they didn't pay me. Um, and so from there, I was like, okay, this is like a legit thing that I can do. And I, I swear, probably like a week later, I got a, I got a message on LinkedIn from a cert, one of the first serverless consulting companies around. And they said, hey, Ryan, we'd love for you to join our serverless consulting company. And I was like, wow, that's like exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and, and I started to get like, I was about eight months in at Nike and we had built everything. And so the thoughts started to go around in my head of like, am I just going to be maintaining this stuff or will I be building new things? And I was like, I'm not ready to just like, maintain stuff and just like have a good job. Like I want to push it. And so I jump ship, no extra pay, anything else. And then, uh, I do the, the startup and I immediately step into this new role of like jumping back into the ocean, which is, you know, Ryan is the developer coach of, you know, uh, developers, uh, that I believe they had worked at Microsoft for like 15 years. And then I'm like, you know, one year, you know, one, one year, one year and a half into my career, teaching them about like serverless framework, serverless development, um, you know, amplify all these different technologies. From there, I started to really get like a more of a concrete understanding of like a consulting company is a real thing that I can do. And there was just some gaps that I had that I had to fill. So I get through that. I finally come to the, you know, the, that decision point of starting it. Um, and, uh, you know, not without the rocky roads, obviously in all businesses, but what it ended up turning into is that late 2018 serverless career becomes a thing. Um, it's just me at that point. Soon after, I think probably around like December, we met Josh. I think so. Yeah. And so we met at, we met at a party and then I think we started talking about like Gary V and like LinkedIn marketing and all that stuff. And you're like, I do marketing. I was like, great, let's do this, you know? And so we started doing that, you know, very casually talking and I, and then just like slowly different people reached out once the business was a thing, then everyone was like, oh, I'm interested in that. And we're trying to do something around like cloud development. Maybe you can help us. And so one by one, just started adding projects, getting overwhelmed with it, you know, doing the whole like 12 hours a day type of thing and working the weekends until it got to the point where it's like, okay, I've got three projects. I'm going to lose my mind. So I need to add someone in. And so then I just slowly tried that with different people, eventually found like a fit. Um, and then just like slowly started scaling it out through 2019. 
we hit some rocky roads again around like in late 2019. And we were probably around like three people, four people in the, in the company, five people. Uh, and then, uh, or so that, that was late. Yeah. Yeah. 2019. And then around like the end of 2019, we got like a break and that break was our first enterprise client. And from there, it was basically like, you know, I told the person I was talking to on the phone, uh, when they, they offered the opportunity, they said, do you want this? And I said, this is the Super Bowl for us. Like, this is, this is the thing, like we've been working since the very beginning for this one moment in time to basically deliver this project to this client, because it was very clear that if we did that successfully and we proved that we were the best at doing this, then it's, you know what I mean? At that point, there's no doubt anymore about like, you know, and then from there we can start slowly, you know, growing and scaling. So we get that project. That's actually one of our longest running clients. Now we've been working with them for quite a while. Um, worked with them throughout the entire uh, pandemic, uh, 2020, the, you know, first half, obviously we're in 2021 is still a thing, but, um, the first half of the pandemic and, uh, and then around like late 2020 after, you know, the economy had recent, like came back a little bit and, and people were starting to be a little bit more risk on, we got our second enterprise client and, uh, largely based on the work that we had done for the first enterprise client. And then by like early 2021, if I have all my dates correct, we were now scaling out to, you know, five people on a project, four people on a project, three people on a project. And we went from like late 2019 of having like four people to now currently we have probably like 23 people or something. Um, and, and we're still growing. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the full, that's the full journey. So, you know, now I can just reference back to this. If anybody ever asked me this question again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you so much for going into into detail because you know what is I don't think we we really have like your your full your full story documented, and that's always interesting. Like for me, you know, like I definitely know a good deal of it. Even this time, there was stuff that I didn't didn't particularly know, and I think it's always great to understand like you know where people come from as well as like what they're working on now, which you were talking about uh, and that sort of thing. And I think you know I'm also really excited for the show, not only to have that uh, get get to be able to hear this. Uh, but also because you know we were able to reach out to our to our audience and get them to share with us lots of questions and I'll also you know preface here if you haven't sent in your question we also you can send in your question via what is it if you like the Q and A box so if something pops up you know we definitely have Ryan Ryan here to sort of you know talk to us candidly which is really fantastic so um, I'd love to share with you the first question that we have from the audience yeah let's do it awesome awesome so what was it this is. Um, so this is like really interesting. I think you'll have an interesting uh, perspective on this one. You know, is it is it the it, from uh, from Rich Buggy from Twitter? Uh, how do we get mainstream developers into serverless? So I think there's something that's like uh, I'll draw a parallel to blockchain development, um, and I'll try not to lose my train of thought about why I'm doing that. Um, so Iranian if needed. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So so with blockchain development, I struggle with this as well, which is how does my skill apply to this new field? And is everything new or is it partially the same? And like, what is the difference there? And I feel like we probably have a similar thing happening with serverless as well, which is how does a regular Node.js developer or something transition to serverless? Or how does someone that's working the cloud, but with virtual machines or even outside of the, you know, like the current AWS cloud providers, all that stuff, how do they transition to something like serverless and do their skills actually align? And do they not? And, uh, and the answer to that is like, they do align. And, and even to the blockchain side, right? At the end of the day, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're still doing is functions, writing code. There's like services that we're using, API integrations and vocabulary, and it's just jargon. And so if you spend enough time just looking at the jargon, looking at the tutorials, all that stuff, everything will click together about your existing knowledge to your new knowledge. And I think that the easier that we make that bridge um, the, the better we're going to be able to get like, um, people, you know, mainstream people into like serverless. Um, and so it's all a matter of, you know, if you're an individual contributor, you know, what could you do to potentially help, you know, bridge that gap for people. And it's, and, you know, you could make tutorials through blog articles have been really successful, uh, or online courses. Um, and the thing that I really want to flag is that a lot of times, uh, when I hear about like, uh, articles and things. A lot of times it's flagged, oh, somebody already wrote something about that. Um, I think part of the reason why I did that long intro is that everything that you've had happen in your entire life makes your perspective unique. And 
because of that unique perspective, you're going to communicate to someone that's out there in a way that will click with them that everything else existing won't click. And so even though there are a lot of articles about doing certain things, I feel like I, I want to encourage everyone that's listening to, to write those articles, to, to engage with the community, because uh, your unique perspective is going to actually have a huge impact and your writing style and the way that you talk and all those things will, will, will actually have a huge difference uh, to people. So. No, definitely. And I think, you know, I think, you know, what is it that perspective, especially if this is coming from someone who like also sees the value in serverless and, you know, is working with it potentially. I think there's tons of value definitely in the projects that we've worked with when, you know, inside these large companies, Sometimes they have hundreds or thousands of employees, you know, if they have like, you know, they call them like internal champions or just someone who's willing to say like, no, I think serverless is the best choice mm. for our organization and be able to like demonstrate it with like the use case or, you know, having a POC or having something just to show that like this is helping us solve our problem. Because what is it? You know, what is it? I listened to it. I, li I was at a conference once and there's like this. Uh, this like well-known futurist there and he sort of like he said he puts up a slide and it's just like this human robot sitting in a chair and he's like this is what people this is what people think the future is like they think it's like super high tech and uh, it's kind of unsettling because it's it's familiar but also unknown and like with the robot in the chair there's also like a level of like is that my chair is the robot sitting in the place that i used to be sitting is it replacing me so there is that inherent fear i think whenever we're talking about future technology but and that's that's a certain kind of fear that I think, you know, we do and have seen in certain organizations. Uh, however, he says he was like, this is actually what the future is going to look like. And he goes to the next slide, just a hammer. He's like, the future is just is just tools. There's going to be new tools for us to utilize. And we're at the end of the day going to be the ones to use the tools. So, you know, I bring this up to, I think, highlight that, you know, there's problems that real organizations and real people around the world are facing. And serverless is simply another tool that can help us fix those problems. But same thing with blockchain. And so, you know, so if you know how to use that and implement it, then it's going to, you'll actually find that for some problems, it fixes it even faster than the, than the legacy solution or the, or the typical way of doing things. So I think you, you bring up a good point. And I think a great way to communicate that is by sharing perspective. We each have individual perspective that is going to be essential for the adoption of serverless technologies, you know, regardless of where you're at. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, the idea that it's like a, it's just a hammer. I think that's a really good analogy, because um, a lot of times it's like it, that. That was the same problem I was running into with the blockchain thing. Was like, how does my knowledge of all these things is just completely out the window? Like, it has no impact at all. Like, am I starting from scratch as well, uh, or do my skills actually transition at all? And it's and that's the thing is that how many people are out there communicating that gap? right? You're coming from this perspective and you see all this jargon about like, you know, decentralized network, constellation network, and like these tokens, and then they're interacting and there's nodes and they're optimizing based on machine learning and how much is buzzwords, how much is real, how much is not. And then figuring out that like that mix. And then, and then from there going, okay, with my current understanding, you know, I can start matching the vocabulary together until eventually I have like a full picture. And then that's like, I think when you get like this, this like wave of like reassurance that like you actually can make that transition and it's actually not that big, that big of a thing. And I, and if I'm struggling to find that information, I know for a fact, everyone probably is struggling with that. And so I think that there needs to be a lot of those type of materials happening. And, and, and also this is a really key thing is that it's not just, it, it doesn't just need to be from the people that have the most experience. It actually needs to be from the people that have the least amount of experience that are transitioning because their perspective and transitioning is going to be the closest to what other people are experiencing than mine would. Because for me, I've, I've been doing this for three or four or four, whatever years. And it's hard for me to put myself in Ryan Jones in mid 2017, and then try to imagine what it was like for me to learn these things. But for somebody that's transitioning, if they're documenting that entire process, if they're sharing that, a lot of times that can be very intimidating because maybe I get something wrong, but at the same time, you really are communicating in a way that is, uh, you know, very tangible. I definitely, definitely agree with that. So, you know, I think, you know, part of the, uh, part of the answer, I think is to, you know, like, you know, if you do have an experience of 
how you learn to move into serverless or when you're like, oh, this is the moment that, uh, that I'm really seeing the value, like being able to document that and being able to share that like earnest experience with other people. I think that is, that's very powerful. And I know, I think, you know, like personally, I just had like a moment of experience with that with, with like the blockchain and really understanding just how beneficial it can be where it's just like, you know, just finding out like operationally, it's actually easier to send like international payments and do like invoice operational processing using like a like a, a blockchain based payment system rather than like a traditional legacy finance system like you know you can say that and you know it seems like okay it's very abstract but what does it matter but when you actually need to like pay someone and it happens like instantaneously and you have that human to human connection of like this was a beneficial, this was like a net positive to our relationship and to our business together. It's just like, oh, no brainer. This is the better solution. And I think we see that with serverless when it's like, we were able to launch this project in a third of the time. You know, some, some of the wildest use cases are the ones that get, or the experiences get brought up because they are just so mind blowing uh, and that sort of thing. And uh, it's just like, wow, this is clearly highly valuable. So that's always fun to, fun to you know, be able to promote those and to share that experience with others. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good segue into the second question. No, I, I think I think yeah. so too, because I think there's always like, you know, what is it? Um, people always love to only talk about like their their successes. And I think that's also like a that's always like a critique of like, I don't know, like 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 in like the investment world, like the businesses that do really well, there's like survivor bias of like thinking that, you know, because this one person did well, they think the whole process is very successful, but maybe they're just an outlier. And so I think this sort of touches, this question touches on this from uh, Zach Nebauer, I believe from Twitter. He, he, you know, he's curious how serverless stacks up cost-wise compared to dedicated servers. I think this is a question that, you know, people will be very quick to say like serverless is great because, you know, you only pay for what you use. So you're going to have a lower bill. Like it's just like cost efficiency. That's like the most valuable thing. How would you, uh, how do you respond to that? Yeah, so it's it's like uh, it's a multi-layered question that often only stays on the surface. I'll, I'll I'll preference it that way. And so when we think about cost, a lot of times we think about raw compute cost. How much does it cost when this lambda function runs? And depending on what you're actually trying to accomplish with the serverless architecture, it might cost more, right? And so then at the surface level, you go, okay, it costs more. Now I have my argument to not use serverless. But when we go a couple layers deeper. And we start thinking about what is the core cost of a business building applications in 2021, it's the software developers. It's the, it's the engineering time, right? And so when we think about ways to save cost, it should be around lowering the, as you know, uh, somebody that I worked with recently or in the past, even at Serverless Guru, uh, Gary would say, it's about, uh, Gary Jennings, it's about lowering the feedback loop, right? And so you want that feedback loop to be as fast as possible because the less time that the developers spend debugging, the less time that you know, operations spends trying to increase the database uh, count so that it's not like maxing out the database, the less of all of those different aspects and the smoother that the whole system starts running, um, that's where those real cost savings come in because then we can redirect all that engineering time towards something else. And when we think about it from a macro business perspective, what's actually making money is the product. And so the more time that we spend investing into those engineering hours that we're saving into building out new product features, the more potential money that the business is making and the more impact that the developers on a day-to-day -day basis feel like they're having. Because I know when I run into a bug and I'm sitting there spending two hours trying to debug it because there's like some weird nested loop thing, maybe it's not in my code, right? And I'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on. That doesn't make me feel very good when it's just like a small little, you know, one line change. And all those other two hours could have been spent on something creative and et cetera, right? And so like, are we at the point where, you know, application code is being, you know, done at that level? No, but a lot of people are still focused on the infrastructure in a way that in a serverless world we're not doing. And so kind of say what that means um, to create serverless architectures now in the way that is kind of a first class citizen, which is uh, infrastructure as code, you have basically these, these uh, recipes, these blueprints for the thing that you're going to create. I'm going to create a REST API. Okay, I've got this REST API blueprint. And you can do that with other stuff, but it's almost like a add-on later, right? And so it's not, it wasn't built for the purpose of, of building these things. It just kind of works. And so once we start getting into the serverless realm, we start 
removing a lot of the overhead that we had previously with, let's say, virtual machines, containers, and we start moving into something where we say, you know what, what matters to me, what matters to the business is building a good product, but running good servers, right? The only thing that matters there is, are they performant and do they work? Maybe there's like a couple other aspects, but really that's it, right? Is the customer having a good experience using our, our APIs? And maybe behind that API, it's, it's serverless. So it's a Lambda function and it's being managed by AWS. Maybe behind it is a manually spun up thing or even an automated spun up cloud virtual machine that doesn't scale properly. Uh, or if it does scale, there's been tons and tons of engineering hours, which again is the highest cost uh, in the whole equation. And so when we take that level of like, what matters to the customer, which is actually what the business is completely about, is about the customer experience, then running a good server or making a good server is actually one of the last priorities that we have, even though that's a huge field of people that are doing that currently. Uh, and to that, to that end, I would say, you know, just to wrap that entire thing up, if we talk at the surface level, or the surface level, it's about the cost of compute, right? The cost of storage, right? But then we go a couple of layers deeper. How much time does it take for engineers to be able to build those things, interact with those things, maintain those things? And then what is that total cost of all of that together, right? So you take the accumulation of all those different aspects, serverless is way, 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 way cheaper than doing things uh, in the more you know, cloud virtual machine. And, and oftentimes something like Kubernetes with containers, all that stuff. So time to market, automation, overhead, like overhead goes down, automation goes up, time to market goes uh, it's much faster. And all of those are benefits that we get and all of those have a real uh, monetary value that we can associate with it. If somebody was willing to sit down and really do some very deep math about how long does it take for a new feature to be released? How much does that feature potentially give in new revenue and start actually calculating. So it takes developers two weeks to do it. They're paid at X hourly rate. And if you were doing that calculation and you compared it to serverless, it's a very clear equation and serverless wins that out, uh, you know, all day long. So. I think so. I think that's a great, that's a great, like, I think a great quote from, from Gary. And I think uh, a great way to think about it, like lowering the feedback loop. I think some of the most valuable things that I think I've seen us able to accomplish and just like in business in general, is like when you can lower the feedback loop or when you can really shorten the amount of time in order to get a result like that, that at a, at a base level of like operational excellence, that process efficiency, it's hard to really find a way to replicate that. And I also think with humans, there's like a little cognitive bias for us to really be able to recognize that. Like, I think there is some endowment effect of, you know, I've spent this many hours trying to fix this problem. I know I'm valuable. Clearly, we, our skills are valuable. Therefore, this is a valuable spend of my time. But there could be a reality where you know, you didn't have to spend two hours, it actually only took you 10 minutes or no time at all, because we're just going to remove that process. And now you have more time to do something that's even more valuable. There's like a higher valuable variable that you have the ability to, uh, to contribute to. So I think that's like a very interesting thing. Like I think about what is it like, uh, my, my grandfather worked and troubleshooted like debug, like the first computers for the air force. And he told me, you know, back in the day, if something was going wrong, you had like a plate and you like plugged it in and it like came out a report and you had to read the report. And then it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is where the bug is. And you know, eventually, you know, you don't, you didn't have to go up to your computer, put in like a hard chip and then, um, and then read a report and then debug it that way. You know, we can do it via the console. We can do it in any infinitesimally easier ways now. And like, what is it? It's not like, uh, like because of that, we're able to do things much faster. We no longer have to wait for like a very dedicated specialist to figure that out. And then what did he end up doing? He ended up teaching many people how to how to like work on the hardware, develop software uh, for for Cisco systems. So it's like there is, I think, this fear of like you know the robot's going to replace our jobs. Like if we they figure out how we don't need like real like real infrastructure or hardware infrastructure anymore, like what what, what will I do? You, you, your expertise will still be valued and still be valuable because now you can actually do twice as much. And because you're so skilled, you can contribute more and add more value to the, to the business, to the creativity process and that sort of thing. So I think it's yeah. something that people don't need to be as afraid of. Yeah. And I just want to touch on that too, because that's like, uh, I gave a talk in Portland, uh, Oregon back in, I think like 2019. Um, and I believe that I was introduced as like, uh, 
this is Ryan talking about serverless and hopefully not about how it's going to take everyone's job away or something, right? And it was like a joke, but it was also like partially like a true thing that everyone was feeling, right? And I feel like people still feel those feelings today. And, you know, you have blockchain come in, Web 3.0, all Web 2.0 is going out the window. Oh, what about me? You know, like, you know what I mean? So um, I feel like we're all, we're all in that spot constantly. You know, the, the field that we've chosen, unfortunately, is not static and it's nowhere near static and it's increasing and changing on a daily basis. And it's our, it's our job as professionals to, to be on that front line, understanding the new things that are coming out and then use the skills and the knowledge that we've acquired to be able to, to, to make those transitions. And I would say, you know, like one flag there is like, if your company is familiar with servers and you only have two people and you already have something released and you don't have a lot of customers, it may not make sense to switch to serverless because the cost, like the value that you'll get out of that, it doesn't outweigh the cost. But if you're a larger company, you have 10 people, you have 20 people, you have hundreds, you have thousands, you're running a much bigger thing with millions of customers, then that, that equation is very, very easy. And I just want to make that flag because sometimes I've seen companies try to make that transition without having something that's like a real product. And they end up almost just spinning their wheels and never really getting something out. Um, and so in, in that situation, this is also where I'll flag back to like, I'd be like uh, the serverless guru website, for instance, is built with uh, Webflow, right? And so for those who don't know, Webflow is like almost like a drag and drop with like where you can customize some HTML and all those things, but it makes CSS easy and HTML easy. And, you know, and it's not that we're not capable of writing HTML and CSS. We definitely are capable of doing it. But is it a good time investment, right? Is making the marketing site from scratch the best use of time? And in my opinion, it's not. And so then I looked for tools that allowed me to get the 99% of what I wanted. And then that was Webflow. And so, and then around like edge cases, like form submissions, doing some extra automation. Yeah, that took us a little bit of extra coding to make that work. But each one of those sites uh, or each one of those pages, we can now spin up new pages very easily and in like, record time, right? And release it and do all those things. And so it all depends on the use case there. Would I use Webflow for a more complex application involving serverless? Absolutely not. Would I use it for a marketing site that I just need to have spun up quickly and be able to make it so that almost everyone in the organization can make changes to this and see those reflected uh, really quickly? Absolutely. Because what matters most is like uh, having an idea and then seeing it go from you know idea to reality in the shortest amount of time, the shortest feedback loop. And so I just wanted to add those two flags because serverless makes sense in almost, you know, almost all categories, but it also depends on the context of where you are in that total business journey, just to kind of make that a little bit clear. Completely. And I think, you know, I think you demonstrated a good example, which is like, you know, if you're a business, you know, if, if you're a situation where you have multiple servers and very few clients, or maybe, or have yet to, really hit critical mass there. Like, I think there's an argument for like, does the business have true like product market fit? And like, you know, if you don't know that and don't know, if you don't know that for sure, then you shouldn't be investing in just infrastructure costs in general or capital, a cost to make the process more efficient. I think by the definition, like, you know, definitely like an inner, like fortune 100 plus companies, like by definition, they have product market fit and they've demonstrated it for many, many years. So it's, it's an easy, I think it's an easier sell and choice for them to be able to say, let's make our process more efficient because we know our process already works. So if you know that, then, you know, I think I've always seen serverless like have a role in like a very defined use case, like you were saying, but if that use case isn't yet formed, it's like, it's a potential risk, but I wouldn't say it's a risk associated with serverless itself. It's more of like a, like a risk associated with the product, with the, with the product market fit risk, uh, which is just like a general business risk. And, and in that case, you know, like, yes, serverless may be costing you more in those situations, but literally anything you're doing in that situation is actually probably costing you, costing you money. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, there's actually something that made me think about um, for a while when I was in Portland, I was at a incubator at the WeWork Labs and I was around a whole bunch of other founders and, you know, people that were starting businesses and stuff. And I learned about a way of building things, which was really it was really groundbreaking, honestly, and I still don't do it today, but I know that it's probably the way that I should be doing it is what they did is they just made a slideshow. And so a lot of times we like to think that we need this full thing to be able to show out to the market. They just made a slideshow and then they went to people and they just asked them, 
you know, does this make sense for like a, what a website might look like? We're, we're thinking about doing this type of thing. And then they just took that feedback. They modified the slideshow. You know how fast it took them to make those new features, right? Hours, right? <laughs> like versus like days or weeks if they were building a real product that whole time. And so they did that. And then they did a, a drag and drop UI type of solution. And they've been using that since then, but they're able to sit down and, you, and update that drag and drop solution. And that whole time they're establishing the product market uh, product market fit and they're adjusting it like on a such a like such a time scale it's just crazy they went from a v1 to a v2 to like v3 all i think they were at like v10 or something last time that i i was i was talking to them and those were like within week that was like weeks per version right and their v1 versus their v10 just like 10 weeks later was like way different and they would sit down with people and they would watch their reaction as they're using the ui and if they seem like they're confused by something, they would like write that down, they get that feedback and then they would just, you know, update it with the drag and drop thing. And then their, their long-term for it is once they have like an established thing that's fully working, then they're going to build an actual uh, product out of it. And that's probably where they would start evaluating using serverless. And so that level of thinking is just like crazy. I haven't, I've never met another, another team of people that were, were doing that, but you know, they're a Portland company that allows for, uh, getting fresh, fresh food uh, from different farms there, from local farms, and uh, you know they're crushing it. So, yeah, that, that is very interesting, and I think like you know definitely from like a startup perspective, that certainly is what you wanna what you wanna do. Even if you are you know have an idea for an application and like you have an idea how to build it out without any users or any like real usage context, like even if you're like oh I can easily spin up some stuff with uh, Lambda and DynamoD and DynamoDB and API Gateway, like you should you should wait until you have like you know someone who's like eager to use the thing that you're wanting or even like if you don't have any tentative yeses yet then uh you know you probably shouldn't be building anything you need to really see if there's desire and like pull for the for the product or for the idea uh even within like your company too i've been inside organizations and it's like if everyone is already saying no we're not doing this or like we're tabling it until you know the next quarter review or something you know sometimes what is it someone just doesn't want to own the project or, you know, some, maybe they don't have a budget and like they actually do need to table it, but like being able to present your idea in an effective way when you need to, that, that is important. And sometimes it's, it's better not to just spend all the time building something just so you have to rewrite it later. Absolutely. All right. Now, uh, what is it? I think, uh, so one thing else I also want to, I want to ask you as we're pressing up against time in a little bit, is, you know, get your thoughts around like how like the serverless industry, like in general, like uh, in, you know, Benoit from Twitter also asked, asked a question very similar to this. And I think I can just use his, which is, you know, where do you see serverless in five to 10 years from now? Like, how do you think it's going to going to develop in the context of all you're seeing, uh, you know, is, is is blockchain the serverless killer, you know, headline mediums <laughs> publish? Uh, does this title even make sense? Who knows? But it'll probably get a lot of clicks. Yeah, one thing that I've been trying to wrap my head around with the, the blockchain serverless side and how that fits in and, you know, because we can say very confidently that that blockchain development and even having Nader Dabit on the podcast previously and him talking about it, you know, we're five, we're 10 years, we're a decade away from this being like uh, a common thing that's happening. Um, like web point, web, we're not going to wake up tomorrow and web 3.0 is here and everything is blockchain. No, like the it's a very, very slow process and it needs a ton of maturity to be honest. Um, and so we can say that about, you know, blockchain it's, it's coming for sure, but it's going to take a bit, um, to have like mass, mass adoption for serverless. We've gone through that process from probably like 2017. Cause I know that Lambda came out and then API gateway wasn't a thing. And then, you know, now we have like app sync and we have event bridge and we have all these other services that have increased the maturity of what it means to build serverless applications. And so in 2021 now, it feels like we have enough tools to pretty much accomplish anything. And so I think what that means is that now we're just, we're in that kind of like mainstream adoption where obviously we're at the early stages of mainstream adoption, but now most people are aware that it exists and it's at least been talked about or maybe like a pin on a board somewhere to revisit in like a year from now. And so I think what's going to end up happening is that we're going to see this model of people moving away from managing their own things to this fully managed paradigm. 
And that's also something that's relevant with blockchain stuff as well. A lot of the things that end up happening in that space, it's a lot of fully managed things where you can use this service and it'll build out this network for you. And it'll give you this token that you can use within the network. And you don't have to spin up all those things yourself, all the servers, all those things, right? And so like how those servers are being configured and how all those things are working together, um, I think there'll be some you know, happy bridge between all the serverless stuff that's happening and that, that blockchain future state. I have seen a lot of stuff uh, in the blockchain community and I've, I can't say I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen some stuff where uh, there's a lot of like JVM usage, Java, Scala, all those things and more like traditional uh, virtual machines, um, things like that. So in those cases, there still is, uh, you know, those, those like, you know, a little bit of that overhead. And I don't know how the, some of those companies that are running their own networks will compete with someone like Amazon. It feels like Amazon might, you know, come in and like eat the lunch of some of these people or buy them to run it off of the AWS side. But what I can say is that I believe that we're in the early stages of mainstream adoption and that more and more companies are going to start prioritizing, uh, reducing all of these manual processes to kill inefficiencies, to spend more time focused on their product, uh, the, on the product. And they, that was always a thing that people wanted to do from the very beginning, but we didn't really have the tools. Now we actually have the tools and they exist. And so now it's just a matter, before it was a matter of uh, exposure, right? Like education of this actually being a thing that you can do. Now I feel like we've done that, you know, to, to a large degree. And so that's where the whole thing around some conversations have happened. And I think that through this year into like 2022, I think more of these large companies are starting to start getting on board. I think fresh applications are going to be built a lot more uh, priority towards serverless from the beginning. And uh, yeah, I, I think that it's just, you know, it's upward growth. I talked to uh, uh, the, the CEO of Commandeer. And so I talked to him and he basically said that he imagined uh, serverless being a hockey stick, right? So we have hockey stick type growth, a thousand percent growth is basically, a, I believe that was his exact quote from that podcast episode. And so I think that that was like far exceeding how I was thinking about it, but I think that is where we're headed. And so all the skills and knowledge that you can gain right now to understand this space and understand things like the usage of EventBridge, the usage of AppSync, API Gateway, Lambda, how you build CloudWatch things, how you build secure cloud applications, um, and just getting hands-on practical experience, right? That, that's going to serve really well in the future. And I don't see any of these things going away. I just see them expanding and, and becoming more mature. And then abstractions being built up over, over the top of them. The same thing that's happened with cloud virtual machines to containers, to cloud functions. They're just, you have enough maturity that an abstraction is created, enough maturity abstraction is created. And of course, enough maturity abstraction is created. And so we're, we're in that process right now, but understanding how that layer below that abstraction operates is always going to be a useful uh, thing to have um, so that it's much easier for you to transition to whatever that new state is, if that makes sense. Well, I think that definitely makes sense. And so, you know, to sort of sort of summarize, like, you know, in your opinion, you're seeing that, like, you know, like we will see some form of like mass serverless adoption or mainstream serverless adoption. And there's more room for the industry really, really to grow and just sort of the uh, raw amount of people who are looking to utilize uh, serverless technologies. And I think you also brought up an interesting point, which was, you know, there's all these different services and, the, and these skills, whether it's like Lambda API Gateway, AppSync, um, that are going to have to, like, there'll be more maturity even from where they are right now. So, you know, in the sense that like, you know, is, are these technologies, like, are they in their final final stages? Are they going to be iterated and developed more upon for someone or an organization, like trying to make the decision for their plan, like either as like an engineer, should I learn serverless? Like, is it too late? Um, is it too late to either start considering serverless or do I need to wait for sort of like the next thing, this next abstraction, or is there still value from learning these technologies right now? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely would say, uh, you're not too late. And if anything, you'll just move faster than uh, the early stages of it. Because uh, I tried to find a serverless developer job back in like uh, mid 2017. That wasn't a job title, right? There was no like, like I searched for serverless developer. I tried to find all those things. Now I get, I get hit with uh, recruiters all the time now that have serverless, senior serverless developer, senior AWS cloud developer with like Lambda and API gateway and AppSync and all this stuff. 
And so that's how I like impartially measuring like the mainstream adoption side is do I have random tech recruiters that probably aren't aware of the space completely that are messaging me with asking to do like Lambda and all the stuff that, you know what I mean? So I feel like that hasn't happened until probably like a couple months ago. And it's seeming like it's increasing really dramatically. So I think uh, exponential growth is probably uh, close to accurate and the maturity of all these services. Um, yeah. Thank you for the perspective. I think it's interesting to like think about the uh, like the mainstream mainstream adoption of uh, like serverless based on like how many like LinkedIn requests you're getting from people being like <laughs> like hey I have do you want to help me out with this position or that sort of thing I need serverless engineers because uh, I definitely agree you know several years ago that was like not a thing like you couldn't find any like there are no recruiters really asking for serverless engineers and there is no like job postings about it. But now you can go on LinkedIn. It's like, you know, serverless engineer, serverless developer that aren't just like our job posts and like the four other cloud consulting companies in the world that exist or something. So I think that's, uh, that's really, that's really interesting. And, you know, I guess, what is it? The day like my grandmother starts talking about serverless, then I'll know it's time to jump industries. But, uh, you know, I don't have a tech savvy grandmother, either of them, um, I would say. So, you know, I, I feel okay saying that even if they're listening, they won't be offended. But, um, you know, once that happens, then we know, you know, to, to switch to switch industries potentially. But no, I think that's a that's a really it's a really good point that you make. Yeah, I think something that's like kind of interesting is like, where is the industry headed maybe outside of purely serverless? I'm really fascinated by uh, application code automation. And so I think that our ability to stitch together very complex application logic that we know for a fact won't have bugs in it while we're developing it, right? Like if I can write a async uh, JavaScript, you know, functional map or something over an array, and I know that this thing is being, like I just, I type it, I know it's going to generate it, or there's some type of interface thing that makes sense to the developer. I think that that's going to be uh, very huge because uh, if it's generic purpose and it allows for developers to write this stuff faster, um, I think there's gonna be a market for, for that because ultimately it's about speed and it's about being able to build things. And so even, even without code, right? So like uh, things like service proxies, uh, if y'all are familiar with you know the audience uh, with serverless and and the ability of, let's say, like uh, doing a service proxy with a REST API, where instead of having a Lambda function behind API Gateway, we go straight from the API Gateway straight to the actual service. And that allows us to build much more robust applications and actually reduce the code to zero. And so by doing that, we're saving all this other time. Uh, but the process to actually create those things is actually more difficult. And I think that that's probably going to be that abstraction layer that happens in the future is around simplifying the building of these complex architectures into something that's still manageable, uh, that doesn't turn into a black box, but does simplify the, you know, the past. Because right now, if you go to like Lambda console and you look at all the different things that you can do, there's like, there's like so much stuff. There's like, there's all these screens, tabs, there's extensions, there's layers, there's like, you know, the, the timeouts, the memory, like what is the optimal point of all these things? knowing that stuff, implementing those things and knowing the nuances of all that is, is complex. And so the, you know, I think that all of these are building blocks and we need that foundational building blocks to be able to build anything we want based on the use case. But then we need to have abstractions over the top of that to make that process simpler and easier because at the end of the day, building a really good REST API doesn't actually matter to the consumer. If they're having a good experience with our, if it's performant on the front end, and they're able to use the application to do what they need to do, that's actually a good customer experience. So like, is Lambda the in-state? Is API Gateway the in-state? Are these fully managed services that currently exist the in-state? Potentially not. Are they the foundational pieces underneath whatever comes next? I think so. And there may be a world where there's the abstractions that exist and there's also the low level things that exist. And there might be a bridge between those things. And so understanding how to do serverless development now today and then understanding that the abstraction may come in the future, it won't take away your job. You'll still have to do those things as well. So yeah, end of rant there. <laughs> I think that's perfect. And I think that's a, that's a great ending place right there. Cause I think we're pressing up against time. And I know, you know, I, I looked at both of our calendars today and we both have like plenty of other, plenty left to do. Um, and that sort of thing. And you're three hours in the future, which I always find fascinating. So, um, yeah. 
So no, I definitely want to, you know, give give a special thanks to you, Ryan, our founder at Serverless Guru, just for jumping on, telling us about your story and, you know, getting to hear about how, you know, you can go from like rubber band bracelets and a tackle box to serverless engineering and serverless development and running a serverless consulting company. So that is, that's always like really interesting and exciting to hear as well as all these, all your, your perspective uh, and the answers to these questions. And so, you know, thank you so much for listening to, to Talking Serverless uh, today. And, uh, you know, this is, this is your host uh, signing off for the day.